in the pandemic, I was forced to take a lot of risk for a person who was not someone who really took a lot of risk. I mean, I wanted to go to school, get a really good job. I studied hard and all these other things. I was a hard worker, but I wasn't really a risk taker, right? Then during the pandemic, I was forced to take a risk. And for the first time, I had to make decisions when I wasn't even sure if they would pan out. And they did. Then I realized that, look, I could actually take a lot more risks. I could learn fast. I could work hard and things would be okay. If things didn't pan out, then I'd learn a lot. And those are the takeaways I had. And that's what helped me start back scoop and, well, deciding not to go back to college, right? Yeah. I relate to you on that because I went on a gap year to know my parents, even if it was just one year. And I was auditing classes. So technically, I was still in school. They were furious. So I totally get the point. This episode is brought to you by HelixPay. HelixPay easily enables recurring payments across all major Philippine payment methods. Check out the independent collective HelixPay store at www.indy-co-membership.helixpay.ph and join HelixPay today at www.helixpay.ph or check out the links in our show notes. Pushing boundaries through socially engaged conversations, this is The Independent Collective. I'm your host, Leah Shoko, and joining me today is my latest girl crush, Amanda Kwa. Amanda is the founder and CEO of Backscoop, a daily newsletter that makes it easy to stay informed with everything Southeast Asian business and startups. Amanda was previously the first employee, and she led growth and customer success at the Avian School, a Y Combinator-backed software e-learning startup in the Philippines. Passionate about writing, learning, and the technology industry, Amanda noticed that there was a gap in the market for high-quality and accessible content to easily learn about the dynamic tech sector in the region. She's here to talk about making the difficult decision of going to college or committing full-time to Backscoop and how she currently manages it as a one-woman team. She will also be one of our panel participants for our event this May 28th. Learn more about the events in our show notes. For now, let's get to this episode. So hi, Amanda. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Leah. So nice to be with you this Friday. I know. Thank you so much for making the time. And yeah, I'm just so honored that you're on the show. For context to our listeners, we're filming <laughs> this on Good Friday. So you know what? I'm just in awe of the hustle behind your work, Amanda. So yeah, I want to know, how are you? How are you doing so far? Yeah, I'm doing good. I was really excited for this all weekend. And just a nice way to end the week. Something light, something refreshing, and something really fun. Yeah, cool. Same. And yeah, before we hop into the serious questions, I have this icebreaker. Are you ready for it? Yeah, hit me with your question. <laughs> cool. So what would you do if you knew you would not fail? Okay, if I knew I wouldn't fail. Honestly, I think I'd still be doing the same thing. Because I think the... A little bit of the thought process I had when I was starting back scoop was that I think people wouldn't expect someone to start something on their own when they're young. 
But I think that was one of the main things that pushed me to it because I felt like if you're young, you can take on a lot more risk. So yeah, I think I'd still be doing the same thing. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah, I assume you'd still probably be successful either way. I don't think you'd ever fail knowing you because yeah, you're such a hustler. And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> like, look at us here, spending our good Friday recording this episode. You're also a hustler for doing this with you on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I do it for you. Anyway, let's hop into the very beginning. Let's start from when you thought about starting back scoop or even before. So you mentioned on our previous conversation that the toughest decision you've made thus far was making the decision to not go to college. Can you walk us through the mental process that went through you when you made the big decision? Yeah, and I think for me, especially in being in Southeast Asia, being in Asia, going to college is a really big thing. It's really important for everybody, all the more in this region, right? Because obviously it's a privilege. And I think for me, I've been afforded a lot of good opportunities for me to advance my education. And when I was growing up, I was always really, really big on education, and I still am, but I think for very, very different reasons. When I was growing up, I was the kind of student that was really, really always studying. I remember I would spend lunch breaks and all the other breaks in school almost always eating or just studying. When I'd go home, I'd study for hours again. My weekends were spent on school-related things. I was that kind of student. So I was really, really big on studying because for me, I felt like I had one goal in life, and I thought that... Because if you have quality education, if you work hard in school, that will give you the best opportunities in your life. You'll be successful if you work hard and study hard. And that's the equation I had in my head. To me, I would study hard, go to a really good college. After a really good college, I'd work hard enough to get a really good job. And I was very, very set on two outcomes. One was go to a good college, get a good job, then be super successful, make money through that. Or two, same thing, but instead of just going to a job, it would be work at a really good company, then start something of my own, and then be really successful of that. And that was something I was really set on. And no one could dispute me on that. Like People would joke and say that, look, you study so hard. And I was that kind of student who, if you gave me back my test, I would immediately annotate it with all the right answers and say, these are the answers that I think are correct now. And if I answer this on the test, would I be correct? But It's funny now looking back, right? I mean, who would have expected somebody like that not to end up going to college? And it was a tough decision to make. The problem for me was that in my head, this was a foolproof plan. And then my foolproof plan met the pandemic. And I guess nobody really expected that, especially me. And all of a sudden I was faced with, well, the decision that, okay, do I go to college and go to college on Zoom? Or do I do something else? Because I felt like my foolproof plan was really just learn everything, get all the skills in school that I could so I could set up my career. And the thing that I realized was that if I go to college on Zoom, I wouldn't get a lot of the benefits out of college that I would have. So I decided that while it's a pandemic, I would just do something else. It didn't make sense to go to college on Zoom. And during that time, I was really lucky enough to find a good opportunity So I was thinking, oh, I'm going to learn how to code. I'm going to learn how to learn all these skills during the pandemic. And I was really searching on how I could do those things, how I could learn those skills, right? Then I came across this startup called Avian School. 
on online and I thought oh wow this is a new startup they teach Filipinos to be software engineers in just like 24 weeks and then they help them get a job and I saw that they had really good investors they had a good team so I thought okay how could this go wrong I'm definitely going to get a good job this way this is like my savior because my foolproof plan was destroyed and now I had this opportunity to find a good job that I could take maybe over the pandemic and then I'd go to college after and then I'd get an even better paying job because I have college plus the skills to code and I thought like this is amazing and so I went to that school I applied and I realized that I was actually really really bad at coding and I realized that oh no my plan was to get all the skills here and then all those other things I said but now it seems like I'm not a fit for this then luckily, I spoke with the founders there of the startup and they said, hey, why don't you actually join us as our first employee? And I thought, well, what else did I have to do? Like, what else was I doing in this pandemic? So I said, why not, right? And I guess a long story short is that while I worked there as her first employee, I was there for over a year and I had the best time of my life. For someone who had no job experience, I was doing all of these things. In the first month I was there, I had this goal to close a few sales. So basically, we taught people to be software engineers. And then what I had to do was find hiring partners to hire them, right? So basically, in a month, I actually closed 45 different partnerships from local and global companies, which was unbelievable because it was my first job, right? And that was just the first month I was there. And while I was there, I would do all of these incredible things that I never thought I'd be able to do. I helped them get into YC as a third startup from the Philippines to ever do that. Obviously, it's not all my work, but being able to be part of something that big was really exciting. I got to do a lot of other things, helping the students, helping the company partners, and doing all of these other things in marketing that I was also tasked to do. And I think the bigger picture there was that I was doing a lot of these fulfilling, exciting things that allowed me to build a lot of skills, even though I wasn't in college. And it really got me thinking, imagine if I went to Zoom college, what would I be doing? Algebra? Exactly. Right? <laughs> like, what, what were you doing during your first few weeks of Zoom college, right? Yeah, it was very depressing. <laughs> no joke. But yeah, it was very new because no one in the Philippines had ever done it before. And so mostly just orientation and self-study. Right. We never really did classes on Zoom because I'd fall asleep. And then when I wake up, the whole Zoom call is just done. Right. Like, I didn't want to be a guinea pig and have to be tested on like the first ever Zoom classes. I didn't want to have to be always like online on like Zoom calls with my classmates when you didn't really know anyone because you just see their faces or their cameras off. Yeah. Anyway, like going back, I was like, wow, I know how my friends are experiencing college in the pandemic and this is what I'm doing. I was like, wow, I'm learning so much. And basically behind the scenes of all of this, me taking on my job for the past one and a half year or so, working at that other startup up until that point when I was studying Basque. I wasn't going to college. I wasn't doing any college applications. And for my family, I mean, I would always tell them, look, at least for the first year I wasn't in college, I told them this is a gap year and I'm just going to learn things. I'm just going to take a job and all of these other things so that I can learn things instead of going to Zoom University, which probably won't really teach me that much, even if we pay a good amount. And so after... I did my first year at my job and another round of college applications is coming up. 
I told my family, like, look, why don't you give me another year? I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. The pandemic is still going on. Why don't you let me take another year off? Well, they were not really for it at all, especially in the second year. But I think I was able to share a lot more about the passions I had about the job that I was doing. And, well, I think basically tried to tell them, look, I'm going to make this work. And if not, I'll go back to college. And I'd basically repeat that. And I'd always try to share about what I'm learning, all of these exciting things I'm doing to try to help them have faith in me and faith in this because... I understand how hard it is as a parent, especially if you work so hard to give your kids a good education and then suddenly they're not going to college, right? So there, so it was my second year out of school and it was time for me to start Backscoop, as I told you earlier. And by the time I started Backscoop, obviously I had to tell my family, look, I'm leaving my job and I'm starting something new. And they would tell me, since you're starting something new, why don't you just go back to college and start it on the side? And as I told you earlier, I didn't believe that doing something part-time would let it grow big at all, right? So I told them, look, I'm going to start Backscoop. This is the problem I'm trying to solve. This is why it's going to work. At least why I think it will work. Because, well, I'm going to do this. And if I don't succeed, then I'll go back to college. So I told my family last year in around July when I was thinking of starting Backscoop, Look, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to start this. And if by the end of the year you think this is going nowhere, I'm going to fill out college applications and I'm going to go. And I knew that point that I would make this work so I wouldn't have to go back to college. But that was really the whole process behind it. I think the main points there, I mean, it's a long story, right? Was that in the pandemic, I was forced to take a lot of risk for a person who was not someone who really took a lot of risk. I mean, I wanted to go to school, get a really good job. I studied hard and all these other things. I was a hard worker, but I wasn't really a risk taker, right? Then during the pandemic, I was forced to take a risk. And for the first time, I had to make decisions when I wasn't even sure if they would pan out. And they did. Then I realized that, look, I could actually take a lot more risks. I could learn fast. I could work hard and things would be okay. If things didn't pan out, then I'd learn a lot. And those are the takeaways I had. And that's what helped me start Backscoop and, well deciding not to go back to college, right? Yeah. I relate to you on that. Because I went on a gap year to let my parents, even if it was just one year, and I was auditing classes, so technically I was still in school, they were furious. So I totally get the point. Right. Like, even if you were, like, auditing classes, your parents were furious. My parents probably had it tougher because I wasn't going to school at all. I told them, look, I didn't fill the applications. And... I don't blame them at all because I think it's hard for any parent and I think they always just want the best for you. Got it. So I'm so interested now because I know that you started from a very kind of like unconventional start. The pandemic shattered so many people's plans. I totally get that. And now that you're on back scoop, I know that everything's changed. Not just your, I guess, your usual schedule of going to school because everything's on your hands as the founder and CEO and as a one-woman team. So you mentioned before that Backscoop gives you a sense of immense happiness and a sense of chaos at the same time. Can you elaborate on this? And what practices do you have to make sure that you're giving your 101% on Backscoop and doing all that you can to grow it without compromising your mental health and well-being? Good question. So yeah, I mean, I started Backscoop last year. It launched in August. And then... Since then, we've got around 3,200 subscribers. And these are people from all over Southeast Asia and beyond, right? 
And those subscribers don't come out of nowhere. It comes from a lot of the hard work that I have to put in. So my job is a lot of parts. So I have to find ways to find subscribers. I engage my subscribers. I speak with the community a lot. I hop on calls with them. I always respond to their emails or messages. Apart from that, I'm also the one who's writing all the content for the newsletter. And that goes out three times a week right now. So that's me writing three times a week. And that's around four different sections of the newsletter each time. Then apart from that, I also do all of the posts on LinkedIn and other social media. I also update the website and all these other things, plus all of the other regular business things that you need to do, like counting your metrics, finances, and all these other things. So yeah, there's a lot of things to do. And I think the thing is, every startup is probably a lot of immense chaos. I don't think it's just mine. And I think that's just the life that you choose. If you work at a startup, you're forcing yourself into a position where you have to grow a lot faster as a business, right? And I think that's really tough. And when you do that, you kind of really just have to adjust your lifestyle to make sure that everything is maintained, the growth and all these other things. And that's a lot of pressure for anybody. It gives me immense happiness because I'm working on a problem that I'm really, really happy to solve and the problem that I really care about. And I think for me, the way I manage it is really just understanding myself over time. So obviously, when I started running Backscoop, it looked totally different from what it is now. I definitely have a lot more work and all these other things. So it has to be a lot of you checking in with yourself like, okay, am I really, really tired today? Okay, I'll sleep a bit more. Am I really feeling like there's a lot of pressure going on right now? Okay, I'm going to go on for a run. If there are times when I feel like it's tiring, then I have to make up for the balance because at the end of the day, it's a marathon, not a race. If I push myself too hard at the end of this, nothing was going to work because I won't last that long in terms of resilience and being able to keep up with the growth of the business. So as much as the growth of the numbers of your business is important, I think you have to manage yourself as well. So that comes with a lot of self-awareness that you need to check in with yourself, as I said earlier. But I think the main things I do are really just remembering what are the things I care about. So for me, a lot of the ways that I rest are really just spending time with people I care about. Apart from that, I also just need, for example, some time to just have like quiet time, I guess. Whether that's playing a game, reading a book, or just sitting down in silence just to relax. I've tried meditating a few times those have also been helpful especially when it's really stressful I think it's really just experimenting with those things that help you feel a lot better and those differ from person to person like for me during some of the days when it's toughest I like to order let's say takeout of my favorite dishes right and that really helps me a lot so I think the takeaways there are basically like to sustain yourself while working at a startup You have to know where you are emotionally, uh, physically, so that you can adjust, get more sleep, fix up your routine. Maybe you should start working out every day in the morning. Maybe you should start waking up at a certain time and knowing what you care about and what cheers you up. And that for me, as I said earlier, was spending time with people I care about. My favorite takeout meals. Honestly, food is really exciting and really something that I love. So When I get myself like a takeout meal, I am so happy uh, or when I just get a good meal at all. So those are the things that I like to do to manage my mental health during the times when it's really hard. 
Yeah, and I, I can actually sense the self-awareness and the calming presence because I just have to point this out. When I read your newsletter, I always picture this bubbly kind of like loud girl because of the way you write, I guess. And then when I met you and then you gave this kind of like aura of I'm at peace, I'm calm. Yeah, I'm a one-woman startup, but I have it under control. So yeah, it's a very cool thing how you're both all these two things and very self-aware at the same time so yeah knowing what you know now what's the biggest misconception that you had before being a one-woman news slash media startup and if there's such a misconception what instance changed that initial belief and how i don't think this is a misconception as a one-woman startup per se or one woman i guess media agency if you would say that i think for me i had expectations coming into this like for example I'd start this and maybe people would just see it as a hobby. People wouldn't really care that much about it. At the start, that's what I thought, at least in the first month or so. And then over time, I started seeing a lot of people really care about it. And people would really message me, email me saying how much they liked it. And I'd see all of these people coming from amazing companies that you would know, subscribing and reading the newsletter. And these are people who have like five, six, seven or more years of experience in the industry working at big name companies or some of the most exciting startups in Southeast Asia. And they would reply to me. They'd tell me that they enjoyed the newsletter. They'd share it with their friends. And I think a misconception that anyone can have coming into starting a business is that you can't progress that much in a short amount of time, especially as one person. But I think for me... I've been around for less than a year and I've been able to see how much our community really cares about reading Back Scoop. We would have posts that when we had just like 300, 400 followers on LinkedIn would have like 60 likes. We have posts with like 100 something likes now and it's incredible because I would see bigger media agencies and they rarely get numbers like that even if they have like 300,000 followers on their page. And it's weird because you think that you're this one-woman company, you think that you're not like a top media agency yet, you just started, but you have all of these people who are really experienced and really care about what you're doing. And I think it's incredible because I think a lot of people underestimate themselves, especially when they're starting out. And I think the best thing to do is just start because that's what I'm glad I did. I just started and then I thought, okay, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to push it until I see some results. And looking back at this time... I'm so glad to see what has changed in the kind of people that really read Backscoop. And sometimes I'm just surprised just looking at my inbox and seeing who's emailing, who's subscribing. Yeah, and thank goodness that you did. Because all this time, I've only been reading Western newsletters. And you're the only, I would say, Southeast Asian source, or even more like a Filipino, fellow Filipino newsletter company or startup that I really subscribe and like. Yeah, because I really sense that you put in a lot of time. So kudos to you for that. And I can only suspect that there have been so many challenges for you to get here. You've mentioned that I think you hit over 3,000 subscribers or was it 6,000? I think. 3,200 something right now. Yeah. Got it. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, so you've gone through a lot. So what's the toughest challenge you've had thus far in your journey? How did you handle that challenge? I think the thing with me is that I don't think there was any like major fork in the road. I think it's just a sense of constant challenge every week. So I think what we do at Backscoop is that every week we have all of these check-ins with, okay, how many subscribers do we have? 
What are the other things that we can do to improve back school for other people? It's always a constant challenge because we're always constantly looking at how we can improve, how we can grow for our subscribers, right? And how we can reach more people that would benefit from Backscoop. I think those are really two main things that I always try to do every week. Like, how do you reach more people that would care about Backscoop and the kind of people that would benefit from having it? Because just yesterday, I think I got four messages saying, wow, I can't believe that you know, I found something like this. When I saw it, I was like, wow, finally, something like this. I've always been looking for something like this. And it's incredible when you get messages like that because you know that you're reaching the right people and they're really people who feel the problem, who understand the problem. That's why they want something like Backscoop around. So I guess the constant challenge there is you're always at a point where you have to constantly improve every single week. And there's always something to push for every single week. I think that's a thing. As I said earlier, it's a marathon, not a race. The challenge is you're not kicking back and relaxing for two weeks or one week saying like, wow, we have like X amount of subscribers. And let's just keep writing, but not focusing on all the other things. But the challenge is really that you have to constantly improve and constantly grow the business. Yeah, consistency matters a lot, especially in your field, because every day there's like this something new thing happening in the startup ecosystem. And so it's really a great thing that you're covering that. And Really up-and-coming startups get, I guess, the recognition they would not have gotten otherwise with within your audience. And it's interesting how many people say that, I didn't have this, I was looking for this before, and yet they didn't create Backscoop. You did. So yeah, I think you mentioned that people would come and they'd say like, wow, finally, there's something like this around. I've been looking for something like this. And I do get that really quite a lot every week. And it's just a great feeling, right? And you also said that we get to cover startups in a way that they don't get to be covered anywhere else. And I think that also shows a bit more about what we are. We're less of, let's say, a media agency for journalism's sake. We're less of a business for business sake. We actually really care about the startup ecosystem. And I think that's why people might love Backscoop. Because I think for me, with my experience working at a startup, I saw how much energy people have when they work at a startup, especially at an early stage one. They're all solving a problem they really care about. They're dedicating hours. Some people literally dedicate their whole day and sometimes even their weekends to building these startups. And what we try to do is that in every startup that we cover, we try to make sure that we bring that energy to the writing. Because I think journalism, while I think a lot of businesses do it well, a lot of news agencies do it well, I think they don't have the energy of the ecosystem. And when you read like an article, if you're a person working at that startup, it's just a really long article or just a really short one. And the only takeaway that you really have are like the headline, like how much money they raised, or if they're a fintech, an edtech, and all these other things. What we try to do differently is we try to bring the energy there into the writing that we have. That's why when you read Vascoop, it's really upbeat. And another thing we also care about is really explaining everything in a really easy to understand way. I mean, if you're working on something that really means a lot to you, for example, for you with Indico, if somebody wrote about Indico, but then when you read it, people wouldn't even understand what your business is all about or what Indico is all about. How would you feel, right? I mean, you work for that for months or for even years. And I think that for us, we really try to make sure everything's fun easy to understand and easy to read because that's what startups are all about. When you talk to other people about what you're building, you don't use big words. You don't want to sound like an industry thought leader. You want to sound like a friend telling another friend like, hey, this is what I'm building. It's really exciting. These are our milestones. This is what we do. 
And that's how we also communicated in our newsletter as well. And apart from serving people at startups, as a reader, reading about other startups, you don't have that much time to really go through all of these many, many articles about a business, right? Or about a startup. But you do want to understand. It's just that you don't have the time. That's why we give people the opportunity to really see what's going on in the startup space in a really convenient way in the newsletter, right? Because I think all people all want to be updated. I think that's something people don't realize. It's like people think that people don't care about the news. People don't care about what's going on. But I think people actually care a lot. It's just that they don't have opportunities to keep up in an updated way. And I think that's what we try to do. So in summary, when you brought that up earlier, it just made me realize how we try to be different at Backscoop. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's why I brought it up earlier when I said that. I thought you were initially like a bubbly, loud, kind of like a party person who's like the center of the crowd. While reading your newsletter, I was always imagining how you'd sound like and the energy when you spoke. So that's what I said. You were kind of like an oxymoron in the paper. It's like a totally different persona. Now I understand why, because you just want to bring the excitement to your readers. And now like listening to you, you sound like very calm, very collected. I'm not, not that you're kind of like all over the place in the newsletter. <laughs> Yeah, just the difference, I'd say. I think everybody's upbeat, right? Like everybody's upbeat about what they're doing, what they're building and in the startup ecosystem. That's so true. They really care about what they're doing. But I think at the same time, everyone's also pretty serious. You have to be serious. You have to really manage yourself if you're running any startup. It's a two-sided thing, right? All the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Second to the last question. What advice do you have for listeners who are interested in treading a path that very few people take? I think one misconception too is that you don't always have to tread a path that people haven't taken. I think that's the first thing I have to say. I think people look at startups and they're always like, wow, people who do startups are so amazing. They're risk takers. They're treading a path that, as you said, no one else took. I think if you're interested in taking a path that no one else took, if you're thinking of building a startup or doing something really incredible, I think you should ask yourself, why are you doing it? I think that's the first question. I think you have to understand if you really care about solving the problem and if you really care about solving the problem. Number two is that, do you really want to tread a path that no one else has taken? It always sounds exciting. It always sounds something that you should do. But I think some people might realize later on that you don't always need to take a path that hasn't been taken. So I think the second thing you'd want to ask yourself is that, do I really have to take this path? And is this what will really make me happy? Because if you tread a path that people haven't taken before, If you ever decide to take a really difficult path, it will be really taxing emotionally, physically, financially, and all these other ways. There are going to be a lot of points of pressure and it's really tough. So I think the second thing is really just, you have to know if you want it and if you're ready for it. Because there's really no harm in having a life where you go to college, you go to school, you get a good job, and then you're set for your life. There's no harm in that. And I don't think that it's any worse at all. But I think what's worse is if you decide to take a path that is tough, But you realize down the line that it's not what you really wanted. Because for me, this is something I'm really excited to work on. I'm really excited to fix this problem of news being broken and being able to deliver startup news in a fun, engaging, and easy-to-read way. I really care about that. But I don't think people should tread a path this tough if it's not a problem that they want to solve or it's not a goal that they truly want to pursue. So I think that's the advice I'd have. And if you really decide to take that path, I think you have to really learn to keep changing. 
you always have to be a different person every few months because you have to improve in so many different ways. Because it's a given. If you tread a path that hasn't been taken before, if you tread a difficult path, people will always tell you like, why are you doing this? Some people might even say, oh, what's this project you're doing? But then it's a business. It's something real. There are going to be people that give you advice and you'll have to learn how to listen to them even if you feel the advice might be really tough and harsh, right? There's a lot of challenges in treading a path that hasn't been taken before. And you have to learn how to be the kind of person that grows throughout the process, no matter how tough it is. And you have to be the kind of person who really knows how to grit through it all. I think that's the advice I'd have because it will always just get tougher. Yeah. So if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Yeah. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And if you're not all in, I think more than that too, I think if you're not all in, don't do it. Because I think for some startups, when they started, it was a project for sure, or it was something small. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're not all in, you'll never realize if that project or if that risk that you wanted to take would actually become anything. I think that's a more important thing. You have to be all in. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And just to cap this interview off, what are you most excited about this year and why? Are we going to see merch soon from Backscoop? (laughs) I think for me, the thing that excites me the most is really being able to go across the whole Southeast Asian region and go deep into each country. So for us, we have a presence in every country in Southeast Asia and we have a presence outside as well. So we have 3,200 subscribers, mostly founders, executives, VCs, and startup operators in Southeast Asia. And what I'm excited for this year is how far we can take that, like, How long will it take until we have at least one person in every startup in Southeast Asia or at least two people in every startup in Southeast Asia? Because there are tons of startups in the region, right? I think now at least every big VC firm in Southeast Asia has someone subscribed to us. And that's really, really exciting because it's only the first half of the year. So I'm super excited to see by the end of the year would we have 30,000 subscribers, 40,000 subscribers? How many different companies would have people subscribe to Backscoop, how many different startups. I think that's super exciting for me. Apart from that, it's also just like seeing the ecosystem. I think more than just like Backscoop, I think Backscoop is something that goes hand in hand with how fast and how much the ecosystem grows. I'm super excited to see by the end of the year how much the startup landscape in Southeast Asia will grow. Because when I started Backscoop last year, I was mostly just writing about Indonesian and Singaporean startups. But now more and more, I write about Malaysian startups, Philippine startups, and all these other kinds of other startups that probably weren't in the news before. You would really just hear about Singapore and Indonesia, but now you see a lot more of Thailand, the Philippines, Malaysia, and all these other countries. So I'm super excited to see how all of this grows because I think it's a time where we're going to see a lot more of the more emerging startup ecosystems mature a lot more. And I mean, there were weeks this year where I was writing about a Philippine startup every week. And that was so exciting for me. I'm so amazed sometimes how fast the ecosystem grows. And I can't wait to see what other exciting startups are going to pop up and what exciting startups we're going to cover. That's great. Thank you so much, Amanda. I learned so much from you and had so much fun. Thank you again for joining us today. Do you have any other promotions, anything you want to promote? Now's the time to do that. I mean, I don't have anything else to promote except that if you want to stay updated with everything that's happening in the Southeast Asian tech ecosystem, 
you should just subscribe to Backscoop. It's www.backscoop.com. We make sure everything is super fun, super exciting, easy to read, and easy to understand. And we've seen that whether you're a founder, CEO, a venture capitalist, or if you're just an intern or someone interested in startups, all of you, all kinds of people can really just read and stay updated really easily. So if you're curious, just check out our website and subscribe because it doesn't get any easier than that. It's also free. Thanks again, Amanda. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. This has been Leah Shoko for The Independent Collective. Till next time. Thank you for listening to The Independent Collective. This episode was brought to you by The Independent Collective's production team, starting with Rayan Alapar, our sound engineer, Caitlin Isabelho, our executive producer, Jam Ilagan, our show writer, and last but not the least, truly yours, Leah Shoko, your host. Once again, thanks for listening to The Independent Collective. Till next time.